Hello and welcome to Modus Scotus. My name is Venetia Hertebees. And I'm Bill Kehoe. And joining us today is a very special guest. Hi, I'm Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Sam. Sam is a chemist at Microcare LLC and he's going to be joining us for a very special discussion today and that is because the Supreme Court is not hearing any arguments this week and they did not hear any arguments last week. So we don't really have anything to talk about as you know for current events so we're going to discuss a separate topic lgbtq plus rights selected by sam mm-hmm. but first we're going to talk about something in the news yes so let's pull it i'll pull it up for everybody else um kentucky just proposed a new law criminalizing offensive speech against police officers Woof. so at anyone who accosts insults taunts or challenges a law enforcement officer with offensive or uh, derisive words or by gestures or other physical contact that would have a direct tendency to provoke a violent response would be guilty of a misdemeanor under the new bill and could be fined or sentenced to to serve up to 90 days in prison. Now, the conservative media... Well, this is proposed by Republicans in Kentucky, Mm -hmm. but even, even, even the conservative media is like, whoa, 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 guys, whoa. Totally unconstitutional. Yeah. What are you blatantly. talking about? Like, this is, that's, no. So I think, you know, I think this will either die in their legislature or it'll come up on a quick challenge and just get, you know, struck down by, I think even a lower court will just be like, no, get away from me. No. So I just thought that this was very interesting because conservatives, and I know this personally because I write about it conservatives are big on the freedom of speech lately they're very much like we shouldn't be silenced and all that and then there's the conservative movement in the kentucky legislature to police speech so that was that was striking to me there was this is terrible timing for something like this not that there's ever good timing but i thought this was interesting yeah i mean to me that kind of sounds like something you'd see in stalinistic yeah russia and like I, kgb keep, keep kind of so this is this is a daily wire article this is ben shapiro's and if everybody, anybody knows Ben Shapiro, he's very conservative. Indeed. But he's also like, yeah, this is unconstitutional, guys. So even even very staunch conservatives are like, get away from me on this. So just thought that was interesting. Hmm, very interesting. Yes. Good Shocking, times. honestly. Yes. So now we're going to move on to our main topic of the day, which is LGBTQ plus issues. I'm going to cut that down to LGBTQ just to simplify it for myself because I'm a fast talker and it'll make it a little bit easier for me to be understandable. Um, But obviously this is going to be inclusive of all gender and identity uh, issues. So we're going to start off by just kind of going through some of the news and then we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with a fact pattern and a bit of a debate. So stay tuned for that. But first, Obviously, there's been a lot of LGBTQ rights issues in the news constantly. Um, The ones that I came across most recently are regarding student athletics. That's an ongoing issue for transgender, for sports teams in determining which uh, gendered sport team they want to be assigned to. That's been ongoing throughout the country. Uh, And then in Congress, there is currently the Equality Act, which is pending. Um, and it would be a ban on discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So how about you guys? Do you have any um, recent LGBTQ rights that you want to talk about? Sam, you could start. Well, I think <laughs> he doesn't have anything. I'm I, prepared for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just very, 
I was, I was aware of the athletics, right? The school athletics. Yeah. When I was well, let me set the stage then, because I did do a bit of digging, just in case you guys didn't have anything to bring. Um, so according to the ACLU, uh, for this year, some 28 states have introduced le- legislation that would prohibit transgender students from participating in sports. And in all, state legislators have introduced 35 bills restricting transgender um, students from participating on their selected team of choice. So, you know, that's up from last year, which only had 29 bills, and uh, there were only two in 2019. So it's pretty dramatic how much this is increasing over time. Um, according to a 2018 report from the Human Rights Campaign, while 68% of straight-identified youth participate in school sports, just 24% of LGBTQ-identified students do. Uh, so there's a pretty big discrepancy there. Um, and that same report showed that 82% of transgender youth athletes were not out to their coaches. And research from GLSEN showed that 11.3% of students reported being steered away from sports by teachers and staff specifically because of their LGBTQ identity. So a lot of students are not even trying to participate on sports teams at all uh, because they feel like they just don't fit in or belong. So that's where, you know, lifting some of these restrictions on teams is helpful for those students to feel more included. Um, but several states, I mean, obviously 28 states are introducing legislation that would prohibit that. Um, and a lot of them, which bothers me specifically, a lot of them are putting these types of regulations under the guise of protecting women, uh, specifically because there's always this, you know, the boys are going to pretend that they're transgender and they're going to sneak into the girls' locker room and look at all the girls undress and it's to protect women from assault. And that's why we need to have these restrictions because obviously that's the only reason someone would want to identify as a female is to look at naked girls. Hmm. And I, as a woman, just feel, no, that's not what I need protection from. I need you to educate men to not do that in the first place (laughs) and then also provide equal opportunity for everyone who wants to participate in sports. Hmm. But that's just me, maybe. I mean, to that point, the whole topic of transgender people in sports i feel like it does become a very (laughs) obviously tricky situation and something to judge because while i do fully support that they should be fully able to participate in sports and do those extracurriculars that everybody else is allowed to and freely welcome to there does come the question of is there a discrepancy between just innate physical strength and i don't want to start making a sexist argument but there is a certain biological factor where your sex does have an effect on your average strength and that does not to say that women aren't fantastic athletes and all that but if you take the average man or average woman regardless of anything else they're more likely to have higher muscle mass than things like it Yeah, and that's been one of the claims, too. In South Dakota recently, three female students uh, sued the state in an attempt to block the state bill that would allow transgender athletes to participate on their identified team. And that was because the the girls were claiming that they would not be able to compete against uh, biologically born Mm -hmm. men in the same sports. 
Yeah. Uh, but that bill did actually pass in South Dakota, so transgender teens were allowed to choose their uh, selected mm. or identified team. Uh, but that is another argument that is made frequently throughout um, you know, states and school districts. Uh, and one thing that's been proposed to me from a local lawyer in Connecticut who deals with education rights is you know, kind of how you have varsity and uh, junior varsity where it's not necessarily separating people based on gender, but it could separate based on your actual just yeah. physical capabilities. It's skill-based so, allocation. Right. So from there, it doesn't matter if you're biologically a male or a female. It's just based on how much can you lift, how fast can you run, like what is your body mass, what is your height. All of those things are incorporated and considered instead to determine which team you would be uh, best able to compete in. Would, as that, be, to, um, would that be a segregation, <clears throat> excuse me, and you would get rid of the whole gendered segregation to begin with? Right, yeah. Mm. Um, so just more background, according to transathlete.com, there are 16 states that currently have friendly policies to help facilitate full inclusion of trans and non-binary students into high school athletics, 14 states that require proof or invasive disclosure in order to join a specific gendered team. Hmm. 10 states that did not issue statewide guidance, so they kind of let the school districts do what they want. And then 11 states that have discriminatory policies, uh, and they counted Washington, um, D.C. as a state, which is why there's 51. Hmm. So that's going to be an ongoing topic for a while. Uh, and then the next thing that I brought up before is the Equality Act, which is currently pending in Congress. So the Equality Act would uh, extend similar protections that are entitled under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which protects uh, individuals from racial discrimination in school systems uh, by taking away federal funding from schools that are showing segregation on a racial basis. So this would do the same thing. Um, it would prevent you from being able to receive federal funding if you are being discriminatory based on gender or identity. Um, so a lot of the pushback on that is from religious institutions, obviously. They're receiving federal funding, but that becomes a First Amendment question of how can they properly practice their religious beliefs if they're, you know, forced to not discriminate against people. According to freedomforallamericans.org, there are 27 states that have no explicit statewide laws protecting people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. There's one state law that protects people on the basis of sexual orientation, which is Wisconsin. There's one state that protects on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity for employment and housing, but not for public accommodations. That's Utah. And there are 21 states, including D.C., that have laws protecting people on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity for all of those sectors. And that includes Connecticut. Yay, lucky us. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so that's a background of you know, LGBTQ rights in the news right now. So keep an eye out for the Equality Act and where that ends up. Again, it's gotten through the House, but we'll see what happens in the Senate. And um, with that, I think we're going to take a short break and then dive into our next main debate topic, unless you have anything else to add. No. Cool. All right. So we'll take a break. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
<laughs> Rapping. <laughs> and this is why we don't hang out with Sam every day. <laughs> we can only handle about an hour of him at a time. Welcome back. We are going to start off before we dive into our topic with doing some trivia because even though this is a special episode, I felt that this trivia was very fitting because it is Women's History Month and I thought this topic also tied in well to LGBTQ rights um, in addition because it's about women's rights. So the question is, which was the first state to issue a judicial decision that women had the right to practice law? Hmm. I have no idea. There's only 50 states, Bill. Just pick one. There were probably not 50 states at the time. I don't know my history very well, so that's very possible. Yes. Hmm. Rhode Island? Maybe? Well, it's either Guam... Oh, or, or New Hampshire. Uh, New, Ham- New Hampshire, crap. I guess. I forgot Guam. <laughs> it was Connecticut. Oh. Right here in our home state. So the statute on the books said the Superior Court may admit and cause to be sworn as attorneys such persons as are qualified, therefore agreeably, to the rules established by the judges of said court, and no other person than an attorney so admitted shall plead at the bar of any court of this state except in his own cause. So the question there that was before the court was whether or not women could be persons they fell whether or not they fell into the category of person uh, for that statute so what happened was mary hall who was born in 1843 in marble marlboro connecticut uh, she grew up in a very open-minded household with a father who believed that women had equal rights to vote and chance of employment She attended Wesleyan Academy in Wilbraham, Massachusetts, and she taught there for several years before moving to LaSalle Academy to teach mathematics. Uh, So she was very well educated, Uh, but she was inspired to study law after attending a women's suffrage convention in Hartford and hearing a speech by John Hooker, who was then an attorney, about the restrictive property rights of married women. She began studying law with with her brother, Ezra, who was an attorney and a Connecticut state senator. But unfortunately, her brother died soon after she started her studies, so she didn't have anyone to teach her law. Uh, So she went to John Hooker, who agreed to take her on as a student in his own law office. In May of 1882, Hall made a bid for formal recognition by the Hartford County Bar Association. She was examined by four attorneys, and she passed. Uh, But the bar didn't want to admit her because they weren't sure if they could. So they sought a judicial decision before moving forward with her uh, permission to be an active attorney. So Hooker actually advocated and recommended Hall and advocated on her behalf. The Connecticut Supreme Court ruled in her favor in July of 1882 declaring her a qualified person and thus eligible to practice law alongside men. Hall spent her legal career handling wills and property matters for women and became Connecticut's first female notary in 1884. She founded the Goodwill Club, which was a charity for boys, and in 1880 she helped to establish the women's, the, the Hartford Women's Suffrage Club. Uh, and she died in 1927 at the age of 84 after four decades of law practice. Wow. 
And as a quick shout out to men, John Hooker was an amazing reformer for women's rights and under his wife's influence, uh, he was an advocate for women's rights movement in Connecticut and supported his sister-in-law, Harriet Beecher Stowe, during the initiation of her activist career. Uh, And just so everyone's aware, John Hooker is different from Thomas Hooker, who is the founder of Hartford and the namesake of Hooker Brewery. I'm actually related to Thomas Hooker. Cool. Well, happy International Women's History Month. Is it international? Well, happy month. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. Thank you. I feel support. Yes. All women across the country now feel validated. (laughs) (laughs) Because Bill (laughs) approves. Yes. Yes. There was a resounding wave. Well, I'll tell you what. The next time I'm feeling a sincere, you know salutation to everyone i'll just keep it to myself that's probably the best yes so now we're going to move on to our debate (laughs) so i put together a fact pattern um and sent it to both of these gentlemen to review sam is going to be arguing on behalf of improving lgbtq rights and bill is going to be arguing um, kind of the opposite, I suppose. You know, when you put it that way, it I, yeah, makes me no. I mean. Protect. So, we'll, let's put it this way: protecting religious liberty. Okay. Uh, and then we'll and then we'll get into it. It'll become mm. clear when I read the fact pattern. So here it is: Obergefell versus Hodges made same-sex marriage constitutional at a federal level. The case required all states to acknowledge same-sex marriage unions the same way that the state would acknowledge heterosex marriage unions. Connecticut was built upon a highly religious foundation. The Connecticut Constitution, Article 7, specifically describes religious rights in the state. A foster home slash adoption agency in Connecticut is run by a married couple who are practicing Catholics. Mr. and Mrs. Perry, which is their names, run the most highly rated agency for foster and adoption care options. However, the couple are highly offended by the recent acceptance of same-sex marriage And Connecticut has acknowledged same-sex marriage since 2009, which is before Obergefell. This week, a same-sex couple, Alex and Marla, put in an application for an adoption at the Perry home. The application was accepted by the Perry home, and then Alex and Marla went for a visit. When the Perrys realized that Alex was a woman and the partners were actually same-sex, they became cold and unfriendly. After the visit, the Perrys canceled Alex and Marla's application and denied them any opportunity to foster or adopt in the future at the Perry home. The reason that the Perrys stated on their rejection letter was an unholy union creates an inappropriate atmosphere for children. Alex and Marla sued the Perrys for discrimination. The case was brought to the Connecticut Supreme Court, which held that the Perrys, running as a private business, were entitled to deny the application. The court cited to the Connecticut Constitution that, quote, no person shall by law be compelled to join or support, not be classed or associated with any congregation, church, or religious association. No preference shall be given by law to any religious society or denomination in the state, end quote. The court determined that even though same-sex marriages were legal in Connecticut and nationally, the Perrys were not required to, quote, join or support, unquote, agnostic practices that diminished their own beliefs. The case was then certified to the U.S. Supreme Court, where it is going to be argued by Sam and Bill. So, let's start. Go ahead. I'll let Sam go first. Yeah. (laughs) Great. So yeah, in this um, situation, 
The right to marry is a fundamental liberty inherent to individual autonomy, and it safeguards the children and families by legal recognition to building a home and raising children. As Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, it is a keystone of social order. To this end, I feel like the fact that the Perrys decided to rescind... The application? Yes, decided to rescind their application solely based off of something that their religion deemed was, I guess, a fallacy or just an unholy union, as Venetia had said. I think it goes against what marriage is supposed to be in the word of the law. So I think the basis of my argument kind of comes down to the interpretation of current laws and statutes, especially focused around protected classes and general civil rights. Federal protected classes are protected from discrimination from race, color, religion or creed, national origin or ancestry, sex, age, physical or mental disability, veteran status, genetic info, and citizenship. The thing is, in this, one of those categories that I mentioned was sex. Mm. And with things like gay marriage, where there is that discrimination against these people, the only reason that person is uncomfortable with the status of their orientation is because of their sex. A man loving another man or a woman loving another woman if you look at it like that, the only reason why that makes you uncomfortable is because their sex is the same as the other. And it's a, it's a ideal based on sex, not even before you look at gender identity, anything like that, and if it lines up with what you believe. I also believe that with the promise of accessibility of uh, public accommodation, that simply blocking these individuals from the same uh, goods and services that somebody who liked the same group of people but were just a different gender or orientation than what this person believes, whether it's based on religion or creed, is just wrong at its base Mm -hmm. because it does disallow you to have the same rights. And that's a very similar argument that you just made here to the Bostock. I was just about to say argument, um, which came out last year. Oh wow, Sam! Sam knows laws. I did that um, one. <laughs> but exactly. So the idea that gender and gender identity are so inseparable from sex in the first place. How can you say that we're protecting people based on sex if you're then saying, well, we can't protect you based on your gender or your identity? or your sexual orientation um, when those are all so closely tied to their sex. Again, you would accept them if they were dating someone of the opposite sex, but you won't accept them if they're dating someone of the same sex. That still all comes down to sex. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm prepared to concede the Bostock argument. You have to. Well, I don't have to because I think it's literalist logic, and yes, it's the law of the land. But But it's precedent in this court that we're currently sitting in, which is the Supreme Court. It is precedent, but I will argue stare decisis any day of the week that we we should overrule that case because it was wrongly decided, because I have to. As a zealous advocate for my religious clients, I would argue that you should overturn Bostock because it was improperly decided based on literalist logic. I think there's a difference between... You're not... 
so we'll use the Title VII example because we mentioned Bostock, right? Mm -hmm. Bostock was decided on, along the same lines that Venetia just said, that you can't discriminate... When you're discriminating based on sexual orientation, you're inherently discriminating based on sex, mm -hmm. right? There is a very real argument that, no, when, this, when these statutes are passed, they truly meant, oh, well, I'm discriminating against you because you're a single woman trying to adopt... A child or a single man trying to adopt and i don't believe in that that's like that's that, that was truly what it meant was like oh a woman shouldn't have this or a man shouldn't have this it was never thought to when that statute was written it was never thought to encompass sexual orientation and sexual orientation is something different than sex itself even if it's difficult to separate them there's a way you can you should you should be able to separate them and that's that's the argument right however however if I'm going to concede that, right? Let's let's use Bostock as the, the law of the land. Yes, you, you if you're discriminating based on sexual orientation, you're inherently discriminating based on sex, which is prohibited by Connecticut statute in the discriminatory public accommodations practices prohibited statute. However, if if you look at the interpretation of public accommodations, right, in Connecticut there's a Supreme Connecticut Supreme Court case on the matter, uh, Boy Scouts of America versus the CHRO, which is basically, you know, like uh, in the Masterpiece Cake uh, example, there was a commission that was a big part of this. That's our commission. They Their interpretation of public accommodation, as, so as soon as you start to eschew selectivity, that's the wording they use, as soon as you start becoming more selective and becoming less available to the general public, you're no longer a public accommodation. And that's a question of fact before the court. So... Adoption agencies are very selective. Everybody knows that, I, or I think it's—I think it's generally public knowledge. It's not like a Walmart. You can't just walk in and get a baby or get a—you know—you you just can't walk in. I'm and pretty adopt. sure you can do that in Walmart. You it can depends do that on the aisle. In in my hometown, yeah, you could definitely get a baby at Walmart. <laughs> in any case, adoption agencies aren't like that. People know they're selective. People know that it's not just generally open and just—you know—you can get one, right? So I think there's a strong factual argument that an adoption agency isn't a public accommodation and therefore doesn't fall under the statute at all. Alternatively, you would say, okay, well, is there something in the adoption statute itself that says, well, I can't discriminate because, you know, this is public accommodation. It it says sex, gender identity, or expression, national origin. It's, it's a very long list of things you can't discriminate against yep. if you're generally available to the public. If your state prescribes to it, which Connecticut does. Well, this is, yeah, and, we're, yeah. and this is just Connecticut statute. Mm -hmm. If we look at the adoption statute, the agency shall not refuse to place or delay placement of such child with any prospective adoptive parent solely on the basis of difference in race, color, or national origin. So they specifically do not enumerate anything else. But there's plenty of other statutes that enumerate all sorts of other stuff. This is just race, color, national origin. So... The idea would be, okay, if the legislature truly wanted the adoption discrimination statute to be as expansive as public accommodation, they would have put it in the statute, however they didn't. So that's, again, the argument, again, it wasn't ever meant to be as broad as public accommodation. And adoption isn't a public accommodation. So I, just, I, I want to address something that you've said in a few of your arguments, which is mainly when this was written, it was never meant to include X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So while you are, I think you are correct in that, when it was, for example, with sexual orientation and things like it, 
back when a lot of these things were right, written, there was very harsh legislature and public kind of bias versus homosexuality stemming from a deep Puritan basis within our country. By judging a law off of what it was meant and everything, specifically when it was written, you're basically denying all of the additional interpretation given by the growth of a society. For example, I mean, just a very broad and basic kind of example is we people used to think the world was the center of the universe. We know now, because of years of growth and research and development, as that a I'm society. the center of the universe. No, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, well, no, keep exactly. going. Keep going. Keep going. Um, that's not true. And that logic can't doesn't apply now. And while not every observation they made, while they believed that the Earth was the center of the universe, was incorrect, as we've grown, there's more to it than just that. And so by saying they didn't mean it, if we take everything for what the people meant when they said it, I feel like we are locking our society into an antiquated ideal. I'd agree with you if there was no way to change the law, but we have these things called legislatures and they changed the law. And that's what they're designed to do. And I and I agree with you when this, a lot of these things when they were written, oh, Obama, believe it or not, Trump was the first president running on record that was okay with gay marriage. And that's just because the issue evolved so quickly. And it was back in when Obama was running for president, and originally he changed his position on this, but it, it, wasn't, it was commonplace that Democrats supported uh, civil unions and all the same rights, but not marriage. So this this issue has evolved very very quickly, and I agree. Yes. And I agree with you that it's you know the, maybe the 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 law as written back in the day doesn't reflect our current view of morality. However, my judicial philosophy it's not the court's job to change that. You are only the court is only judging what the law is. If you're upset with what the law is, go talk to your legislature, go talk to your congressperson, change the law. Otherwise, get away from me. And. To that, I will say, I think I mentioned it in the beginning, I actually do agree that the law as written does follow the final decision within this case. My argument is it is an antiquated thing that is you're trying to fit the mold of what today's society, and as you said, it's such a rapid change and mm -hmm. adaptation to this new, I wouldn't even say norm, but maybe... A norm of acceptance and it's not everybody's accepting of it but i think in this case when you use your religion to kind of deny or uh allow other people to partake in your uh, business or services or really just anything or deny other people just basic right because of something that goes against what you interpret your religion as I think that that's just uh, full of fallacy. Well, let's get into that because let's say let's say that you were successful. Mm -hmm. You talked to your congressperson. You got the adoption statute that I just talked about to updated to include sexual identity, mm -hmm. all a much more expansive prohibition on what adoption yeah. child placing agencies can can discriminate based on. Right. Um, let's say you did that, but you have a closely held private institution receiving no federal funding. 
exercising their religion. So you've got this, we'll call, we'll call it a right to adopt, right? It's yeah. kind of more of like a just a, a liberty right. Yeah. It's not nothing enumerated in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. It's liberty right, the freedom to adopt a child or a, to pursue adoption of a child on one side. And then you've got the enumerated First Amendment free exercise clause on the other side saying, I genuinely don't believe in that type of union. I know the state does, but I have no connection to the state. I'm a closely held private organization, see Hobby Lobby. And you, um, and, and for people who don't know, Hobby Lobby is just a case that's basically a private entity uh, can, if, if it has a genuinely held religious belief, you, you, they're, they're free to exercise yes. that from a corporate setting. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing here. This is, yes, it is a, it is a business organization. It is gen, like they genuinely believe that the, the marriage is between one man and one woman. They, however ridiculous you personally believe that might be, they mm-hmm. genuinely believe that. Mm-hmm. They're free to exercise that religious belief. And you've got that enumerated power versus a liberty pe- interest. And the First Amendment enumerated power is going to win over that every day of the week, in my, in, in my view. So to that point, um, I do think that something that kind of uh, helps me form my opinion on this specifically is... When you look at businesses, so Hobby Lobby, or honestly, even this cake shop, while I personally, my personal belief, I really dislike the fact that they would do that because I think it's kind of a perversion of their religion. And I mean, in my humble opinion of what uh, Christianity and other religions are, um, marriage isn't a religious thing. Like marriage has can be found in almost any religion. It's not a Christian thing. Before religions were widely practiced, it was more of a business transaction. And I know that that, that's ancient history, but it's not about binding. I mean, some people view it as that, but in the way that the government sees it, that's why you get tax cuts and everything for being a married couple. It's not because, oh, we're married through Christianity or we're Jewish and we're married or... Hindi, Islam, Islamic, whatever. That shouldn't affect like what religion you are and what you prescribe your marriage to be based on. Doesn't change what it is from a governmental standpoint. Well, I think it. it let's let's say you've got a different case where the Perrys are receiving government funding. You can, can constitutionally condition that re- receipt of funding. On a government policy. The government policy believes, yes, regardless of your sexual identity, you should have the freedom to adopt. Mm-hmm. Hands down. And in that case, you can condition that funding on your on, on non-discriminatory policy. But here, the adoption agency doesn't have any connection with the state. There's no, I mean, not 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 from a funding perspective, right? So there's no, there's no hook to get in and say, yes, your policy has to be this. And I think I mentioned this before. I'm a little more libertarian on this. If you don't like this cake shop, you don't like this adoption agency, there's another one around the block. And this one, if it's really that bad, it'll go out of business. And so so what I kind of meant to say earlier but kind of got distracted rambling about marriage was I think that there should be a distinct difference between adoption and a cake shop. Because while I do agree with that model with the cake shop, if... I'd still, like I said, like I've said before, I very vehemently disagree with how that person operates their business, but it's still their business and it's selling cakes and commodities. 
children are not commodities. And so this is basically a group of people inflicting their beliefs over the potential future of a child. There's no proof for for the ideal that a mer or a union between uh, two gay or LGBTQ people results in a worse child or an unhealthy environment. And so, I mean, and I know that you said that like, it's still a private business, but I guess the fact to me, I don't think that the life of a child should be a private business. I think that that should. I, I think that that should have special ramifications because it is so intrinsic to the fortune of a life. And I get that, but here's where it starts to spiral out of control. Yes, we could we could say yes, the development and the the future of a child is paramount and that's important, right? But what do you do about the kids that are being raised by their biological parents in very super religious households that hold the same beliefs, right? So you start to you get start to get down to that slippery slope of saying no kids this this whole religion thing this is bogus and that and that's the state telling you that and you can't go there because now you're now you're really delving into deep waters deep. but i think there's a big difference there you said biological families and their own home mm -hmm. you don't adopt your own child you have it and you bring it in yourself this is a company the Perrys, you can. I would assume that they don't just have a bunch of kids in their house for with no tracking or anything like it. It's a business. It's a company. Mm -hmm. That's very different. Like a family is not a company. Right. And so, I think there should be some more regulation on what. I don't want to allow the state to be able to go in and say this is how your family needs to run, and how like you what you have to or can't believe mm -hmm. i fully would agree that that is egregious and i mean blatantly against right the if First you have the Amendment. power to tell me that the christianity yeah. is wrong then you have to do the ability to tell me any other exactly is wrong and i agree that's okay. like and so i am very pro first amendment like even to the people who i really hate hearing speak but with this i don't think that do you um, think do you think that this it because this is a business because it's not a family, there's this, there's maybe, there's maybe a ring of security around a, a typical family, whereas because this is a business, the state should have the ability to dictate a little bit more into that business. Is that I, what you're saying? I do because, and well, specifically in the cake, because like I said, with the cake shop, while I do disagree with it, I do think that trying to regulate, saying you have to sell to this person is a very slippery slope and can potentially do have some serious ramifications. I think that the fact that these people are trying to get children into families, but they're preventing them from being adopted by a potentially fantastic family solely because they have different beliefs than the people who are running a business. Because um, cakes don't grow up. They don't have. I really person wish they did. Yeah, if they got bigger, that'd be great. <laughs> but like, cakes don't have a personality. They don't have a future. They can't eventually feed back into society, except for the people they feed. But um, by preventing children from finding a home solely because you disagree with the people who would bring them to a good home on a purely ideologic level. I think that that is unjust. So I'm going to 
you know, help Sam out a little bit on that because he brought up a point that I've been thinking about myself in this issue, which is where is the line between freedom to practice? Obviously, the state can't tell you how to practice your religion. And where is the line of giving preference to a religion? So in this example, we have a Catholic couple that does not agree with gay marriage. And so the state is allowing them to discriminate against gay couples uh, for receiving um, potential ability to be an adoptive parent. However, if I was running a adoption agency and I was Jewish, maybe, I don't know, uh, and there's nothing in my religion that says we as a people are against gay marriage, but I personally don't agree with gay marriage, I don't have that same protection as this Catholic agency has because I can't point to my religion and say this is why I don't want gays to adopt my children I can only say well I just happen to hate gays it doesn't have anything to do with my religion so where is that line of preference to one religion over others when it comes to discrimination Bill do you have anything to say well there is no preference it's just religion well, right, but you are now allowing some homes to discriminate, but not allowing other homes to discriminate. Which so the ones? Jewish home cannot discriminate because there's nothing they can point to in their religious background that says, this is why I hate gays. We just have a group that happens to hate, you know, I, I happen to be Jewish and I happen to hate gays uh, in this hypothetical. Whereas you are going to allow the Catholic home next door to discriminate against gay couples because they can point to their religion as the reason they want to discriminate. So how come you're preferencing their religion over my religion? I happen to hate gay people. It's not because of my religion. I are, you have using, my own. are you using Jewish as a proxy for a religion that just doesn't have a view on gay right. marriage? Or so even I'm agnostic and I just hate gays. So how come I don't get the same protection that you're getting because you're Catholic? Because religion is something that's been enumerated in the Constitution. I'm agnostic. That is, my religion is a lack of religion. How come I can't discriminate? Because it's not your. it's not a religion. You're you're you come you come out of the whole. I mean, atheist would be not not religious, right? But the it the line is a and this is a question of fact before the tribunal is your genuinely held religious belief. That's that is what's protected. If My you, genuinely well, held religious belief is that I'm not religious and I hate gay people. That's not a religious belief. So the line is religion. All right. Well, now. My next scenario. So again, talking about that, um, the line of preference. So if the state comes in and decides to change the this statute, the placement of adoptive children, um, to include, uh, you can't discriminate against gender or um, sexual orientation, but this home still claims a First Amendment right because their religious views, uh, they don't want to allow gay couples to adopt their children because it's their religious view where is the line of denying those children their own ability to accept other types of religion or other views so we don't know right off the bat how many of these children are going to grow up to be lgbtq individuals themselves so allowing a catholic home to deny them access to a family that maybe they would actually better identify as maybe it's a 14 year old girl and she knows that she's um, trans and you're gonna say because you're in a catholic home you cannot have 
a family who maybe better understands your situation because we as a Catholic home won't allow that. When does that um, extra privilege to religion cross the line of now you're suppressing those children's access to free? Well, I would push back on that severely because I think that a straight couple, the right moral straight couple would be totally capable of helping a LGBTQ plus child through their through their child through their challenges right and and, not, and and hold on hold on hold on and i'm not done my they're gonna need help right but i don't think just because you're straight you're a straight couple that necess- necessitates that you're completely unable to help these kids so uh counterpoint to that i mean i definitely agree that just because you are a straight couple does not mean that you're incapable of handling these issues but in this sp- case specifically with the Perry's if they are so indoctrinated in the idea that that's a sin, being anything other than a straight and what they call ordinary mm-hmm. person or couple, what's the likelihood that they would allow somebody to adopt that had those ideals? Like, they're sure they're a straight couple, but they're like, oh, well, we trans and LGBTQ+, plus, it's all fine, and we would love to have it, and it wouldn't make us love them any less. But then Perry's hear that and like, oh, well, that means that they would allow like a sin to occur. And so then they're more selective on who they allow to adopt. And so you wouldn't get that straight couple. And also, I mean, just in, you know, obviously having this debate in allowing the Perry's to discriminate against gay individuals, they are setting that tone in their home for these children who might end up being gay, that what they're doing is wrong and they grew up in a in a home that told them what they're doing is wrong. And that's not really setting a good foundation for them as themselves. I mean, again, they could be raised wonderfully by a straight couple, but they grew up with this idea that they're not allowed to be with a gay couple because being gay is bad. Mm-hmm. And the state condoned that by saying, yep, you're right, Perry's, you're allowed to do that. So the children, whether or not they end up being gay, they just have to deal with the fact. I, I want to be clear, that's not the state condoning it. That's, I well, think no, that's incorrect. In this case, if the, you know, so the argument here is that the, the state allows the Perry's to continue their practice the well, way that they're... Well, it's not even the state saying not... The, the state is allowing it because the Constitution says something, right? State of Connecticut can say, we disagree with this. But we're, our hands are tied because this is a constitutional issue. The state, again, the, state my... the state is completely within their rights to say what they want about the Perry's adoption practices. But my question is, where are the kids' First Amendment rights? Uh, they they can say whatever they want to say. They can, can they practice how they want to practice? They I mean, so I I actually don't know a lot about minor law, but I can say they can say they can say what they want. Well, so can the Perrys, but you're denying those kids their First Amendment right to practice maybe their agnosticism in, you know, however they well, want then to. Well, in that case, then every every set of parents who's a little restrictive over their kids is denying their kids First Amendment rights. Do we want to get into that conversation? But those parents aren't running a business based on right. relocating these children. I mean, relocating might not be the best no, word that's, for that. It's devoid um, of any compassion for these kids, which I, be- yes. I believe in this hypothetical, the Perry's genuinely have compassion for all these kids. And so, but then there comes a question is where does compassion almost like, because you can be perfectly compassionate and mm. think you are in the right and not realize you're doing harm. 
Right. For example, like with specifically if there, as Venetia had, one of her uh, hypotheticals was a 14-year-old girl who is transgendered or confused about her gender identity. Mm-hmm. If she's in there, the Perrys truly believe that that's a sin. And out of the, I'll, I, I don't, I'll just say out of the goodness of the heart, they're like, oh, we'll help you get over it. Here's a Bible. That might help them and they think they're doing well but what happens is that girl then doesn't have the support she needs to fully understand what she's going through and is convinced that she is wrong and so she will be less likely to explore who she is and be more reserved and if the likely... state if the state has the power to get in the way of that why wouldn't the state have the power to get in the way of two religious parents giving their biological daughter the same advice and and the difference i mean yes one's a business and one's a and that's the difference and, and, yeah. but why is that why is that why because we why have protections about parents being able to raise their children the way they want to we also have protections against um incorporating state rules against the home the family itself you can't go into someone's home and tell them how to run their family you can like there's a statute right in front of us right now you can tell adoption agencies how they must run their adoption agency because those are not their children and those children are going to go to a different home at some point hopefully and so they obviously have the right to screen out people who are going to be abusive or screen out people who are going to be harmful for these children in their lives Um, you can't walk in unfortunately to every household that has terrible parents and tell them you can't do that sometimes if it reaches a point where the state can step in for protection reasons but otherwise, no, you can't walk into someone's home and tell them how to raise their kids. You can walk into an adoption agency and tell them what they're allowed to do with those children because they're not their children. Yeah, but I still you're getting in the way of their religious right, which is an enumerated right. But you're getting in the way of those kids' religious right, which is an enumerated right. No, you're not. You are saying that I'm going to prefer the Catholics running this institution over the individual rights of the children who might be placed in that institution mm-hmm. and their access to parents. How are, I'm confused on how you're, you're negatively impacting the children's First Amendment rights. Because the children, they might be not Catholic. They might be anything else and they might be okay with lgbtq rights they might be lgbtq themselves but by preferencing the catholic religion over their own they're now being denied access to other types of parents you'd have to show you'd have to show that you'd have to actually show that you know these this this the parries are saying oh no you you know we don't have any of those books in this house or no i mean or they you know if let's say if it's a, um, a muslim kid right and they, they you know they're but they're still taking care of the kid, and they did no. I mean, you are not allowed to lead the, read the Quran in this house. That's a separate, a complete separate issue, I think. So they're so you'd have to actually show that their First Amendment rights are being infringed upon. You're not but picking my one over the other. Just why? Are, why is one religion getting a preference? Why? Are, which religion's getting a preference? The Catholic religion. Why, why it's not? It's not getting a preference. I don't understand how they're getting. Why a preference. are they getting a preference over every other? So this is just a wide set, broad. Like, if, again, if the state of Connecticut came in and said you can't discriminate against gender or sexual orientation, it is a wide set law f- that applies to everybody. But you are going to say you get an exception. 
because you are claiming your First Amendment right um, to practice how you want to, and you being a Catholic says that you're allowed to discriminate. But again, the harm that you're doing potentially to the children in that home, why is it that you get that preference, you get that protection, Keep, as sorry, opposed keep going. to any of the other facilities that have different religions or are agnostic, they're not allowed to discriminate, but you are allowed to discriminate, which could be injuring those children. Which, Sam? Well, so I do agree with that. And one thing also, kind of going back to, we were talking about religion and what that meant and how it's viewed and all that. And your point to agnostic and atheist isn't a religion. In most of the wording involved in this, it's religion or creed. So agnostic, atheism, things like those that aren't a general religion, that it, that could be understood as a creed because it is a set of moral standards or beliefs. And while it might not be a religion where it's a higher power. So I tend to agree with you on the whole creed thing, but the First Amendment has, says nothing about creed. It's all, it's religion. The and first, what does it say specifically? Bill, read it to us. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So right. So the, the question here is the free exercise thereof. And by telling the Catholic home that they cannot discriminate on who they offer the ability to adopt... The question is, is that prohibiting their free exercise? They're still allowed to go to church as they would. They're still allowed to hold the beliefs that they would, just as any other person is allowed to keep those beliefs without being told how to believe. But you're saying that they should also be protected in the ability to discriminate against certain groups of people. Yes. Because it... The state law would be compelling them to do something that is against the religious code but how is that stopping them from exercising they're still allowed to believe that being gay is a sin they're just not allowed you're literally you're compelling them to do something that's against their religion it you're doesn't say anywhere in the bible thou shall not give orphans to gay couples now we're getting into the you're getting into a separate line of genuinely held religious beliefs have you read the bible i've read parts of it okay well there are plenty of people that genuinely believe that they should not be giving, you know, if they're an if they're going to give children as an as an adoption agency to gay couples. Well, they don't believe that you that a person is allowed to be gay without it being a sin. So they themselves are not mm. being forced to be gay or enter a gay union. They themselves are not being asked to even approve you're questioning the genuine nature of their religious belief no i believe that they're absolutely genuine but i'm saying they don't have the right to discriminate against people even though they can still go home at night and say those people are sinning that is fine but, they're but allowed you're forcing to but you're forcing them to in their mind sin to run their business which is to adopt children to loving homes so i'm saying yes they are not allowed just as they i mean again racial is even higher higher protected in our constitution now but if you had a religious group who did not approve of interracial couples they could not 
not adopt a child to that couple because they don't approve of interracial couples. Well, yeah, that's because the status of race is different than the status of sexual orientation. But under what the I'm law. saying is, again, they that is an example of where the state can come in and say, no, you can't do that. You can go home at night and say interracial couples are a sin. Go to bed feeling good about yourself because you're not in an interracial couple, but you can't deny them access to children. So yeah, the same would but be that's here. race. But they're allowed to exercise their religious beliefs in believing those people are sinful, but they can't discriminate. And then to kind of piggyback off of that, at what point does their religious um, freedom infringe on the freedoms of the people they're servicing? Right, the preference again. Which freedom? Again, my religion of being atheist, let's say. But who's who's I'm a gay couple. I'm atheist. And my beliefs are that I'm allowed to be a gay couple. And you are denying okay. me access to children because your beliefs... Access to children, but that's not enumerated under the Constitution. The right no. to adopt isn't in the Constitution. No, but you're, again, you're preferencing one person's beliefs over the other person's beliefs. Because that's how and, the Constitution's written. Well, so... Yes. No, it says specifically you cannot prohibit the free exercise thereof. I am an, act, uh, an acting and... Uh, prescribing atheist but you're saying that you're going to prefer this home's catholic beliefs over my exercising my atheist beliefs no that's not how that you're not that's not the battle you're doing here the battle you're doing here is the catholic home's uh, religious beliefs versus the couple's liberty interest in adopting a kid that's not their that's not the exercise of their religion well what if that um Exercise of the religion, exercise of the religion, is infringing on that couple's right, civil liberty to have a family and rear children. So now we're going into like a, if you if you want to take this down the strict scrutiny route, right? So yes, the Catholic folks have a um, have an interest have a, have a First Amendment interest in the free exercise of their religion. And if the government's going to impede upon that, they've got to do it in the least restrictive means possible. And the least restrictive means possible here is go to another adoption agency. What if they're the only one in the state? That actually brings up a novel question. I'm not sure about that. It's the same question. No, it's different. That's Those different. are the facts of the case right now. So give me your narrowest means when it's the only adoption agency in the state. When it's the only adoption or agency in the state? a gay couple and they're not letting me adopt a child. Or if there are several, but all of them have the same prescription, basically. So they're all Catholic. They're all Catholic. And so what if there are no alternative options? And so everywhere they go, they are solely turned away because of their sexual orientation in a legal union between two individuals. Mm-hmm. I still think you gotta go out of state because the, there's no right to adopt. There's no right to adopt. If I'm gonna compare it to Casey and Roe, right? There's a fun, there's a there's been found that it's a fundamental right in the Constitution to to have your own reproductive choices, right? There's no fundamental right in the Constitution to adopt. So you've got one enumerated right on one side, and you've got a pure liberty interest on the other side. And you still don't do it. You still don't, you still don't get there. A hypothetical places say. There's another adoption facility mm-hmm. that is, they are staunch atheists, okay. and the idea of religion is toxic to them. Okay. And so then a very religious couple come in and start saying, like, they're going to adopt, and then but then they, the agnostic home, atheist, atheist home, 
finds out that they're so religious and everything. And, and then, okay. but it's their belief system that makes them think that religion is toxic or say Christianity is a toxic denomination. What do you do then? Because if you say that they can't deny uh, service because they're Christian, well, what if it's my atheistic belief that Christianity's bad? So I think that's okay. I don't, I don't agree with it, but I think that's okay. I think you're, um, you know, there's the enumerator. It's either race, color, national origin. If they disqualify you because they, you know, you know what? I think your religious beliefs are not so. I think that's going to be damaging on the kid. Uh, no, you're disqualified. See, see you next Tuesday. Goodbye. And um, I think that's okay. I don't think that the the religious couple has a, a claim there because they can go elsewhere if they want to adopt. They don't. They don't have a fundamental right to um, to adopt a kid. You're. I mean, I think that's. While I would disagree with that adoption agency, again, I think that's fine. Well, on that note, um, if anyone is interested in the real-life version of this case, it is an ongoing case right now. Uh, it is called Fulton versus City of Philadelphia. It uh, was heard at the Supreme Court last year, and they will be deciding it this year. The facts of the case are a little bit different. It is a religious... Um, adoption agency that receives the um, the recommendation of children to their agency from the state of Pennsylvania and uh, within Pennsylvania there is a statute that says agencies similar to what Bill read about Connecticut that agencies cannot discriminate against um, accepting parents into the pool of potential adoptive parents uh, on the basis of sex or sexual orientation and this religious home uh, has it in its own guidelines and it has told the state right out that it would not accept any uh, applications from gay parents uh, and that if any gay parents did come to the home they would just refer them to another home that they will not personally accept applications from any gay parents and so the state decided to stop sending children to that home because it was a violation of the state statute and then the home uh, brought suit against the state. So that was, again, heard last year. That is Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, and we'll see how that one comes out. Yeah. Sam, thanks for joining. Yeah, no, that was fun. I'm glad was, you thought so. Yeah. Because I felt very attacked. Yeah, <laughs> I was hoping for that. Well, <laughs> it was my role in, it was my, it's yeah. been my role in law school is to yeah. take, the, take the other side. Yeah, and um, well, I mean, I feel like with all of these situations, it's important not to be blinded by your perspective. So talking through dissenting opinions to use law speak you know oh, fancy wow. <laughs> um i think it's very important because these are very complicated subjects that aren't so well black and white so yeah yeah i had a blast i mean it was a good time cool thanks for having me thanks everyone for listening and tune in next time